0: Welcome to Audio Scrambler, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Bob Waller. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so this episode's feature piece commemorates artists who've struggled with mental illness and written songs that tell us about the workings of their minds. It's called Different Minds, Five Songs That Shed Light on Mental Health Issues. In addition, I'm going to try out a new segment called Out With The New. The idea is to lead out of the show with a brief review of some new music. Get it? Out with the new? This time it'll be the album we're hearing in the background right now, Seafoam Green by indie rockers The Brangs from my own hometown of Sacramento. But first, some orientation to our feature piece. We're going to be looking at five songs that shed light on mental health issues, and were written by people who know about those issues from experience. Some of the life experiences we'll look at were tragic, even fatal, and I've decided not to sugarcoat the fact that mental illness can ruin lives. At the same time, I like to end things on a positive note whenever I can. So, we're going to look at these songs in reverse chronological order, beginning in the 21st century and going back to the 1960s. Because, while the most recent of these songs probably has the most tragic backstory, the oldest probably has the most inspiring backstory. And so, without ado, different minds, five songs that shed light on mental health issues. Song number one, Rehab by Amy Winehouse. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Rehab is an autobiographical account of Winehouse's refusal to get treatment for her real life alcohol addiction. On the surface, it's an upbeat expression of defiant cheekiness. But behind the playful sass, the careful listener can hear the workings of a mind that is genuinely struggling with addiction. At times, she lets on that she's aware of her problem, like when she proclaims, I don't ever want to drink again. But at other times, she denies she has a problem altogether, as in this line recounting her conversation with a staff member of a rehab facility. She claims to have no idea why she's been brought to a rehab facility. But then in the very next breath, she admits her drinking is excessive but claims it's not itself the problem, rather her drinking is the symptom of some other problem, namely her ruined love life. This is an example of what literature on alcoholism refers to as justifying. Sure I drink, but drinking is justified in my case. Wouldn't you drink too if you had the kind of problems I have? Another common characteristic of alcoholic thinking is something known as strategic hopelessness. It's the alcoholic's stated belief that treatment would be useless because he or she is doomed. Winehouse expresses this kind of hopelessness with a subtle reference that some listeners might not even get. Here it is. The Mr. Hathaway that Winehouse refers to in this line is this man. Where is the love? r b legend Donny Hathaway singing with Roberta Flack on the 1972 hit, Where is the Love? Hathaway had a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia and, one day in 1979, ended a high-profile recording session early claiming his brain had been commandeered by people who were trying to steal his sound and kill him. Hathaway was found dead later that night, apparently having jumped out of the 15th floor window of his hotel room. By alluding to Donnie Hathaway as her guru, Winehouse subtly warned the world that she feared she was following in his footsteps. And of course, in time, she did suffer a similar fate. On July 23rd, 2011, Amy Winehouse was found dead at the age of 27 with a lethal blood alcohol level. Her mental health issues never seriously treated. Song number two, Hurt, by Nine Inch Nails, written by Trent Reznor. I hurt, myself today. hurt is a song about the inner pain of depression compounded by drug addiction. Like Rehab, it's inspired by its writer's real-life experience. But while the pain in Rehab is blended by humor, Hurt has no comic mask. Reznor addresses self-loathing head-on in a slow, somber tone that is more true to the tone of depression than Winehouse's defiant romp. And while Winehouse in rehab dismissed her addiction as merely a symptom of her broken love life, not the direct cause of her problems, Reznor in Hurt makes no such distinction He uses because he's depressed, and he's depressed because he uses. It's a vicious degenerative cycle. In fact, the album that Hurt appeared on was 1994's The Downward Spiral. It's a title that honestly reflects Reznor's feeling that life is out of control, things are getting worse, and they're probably going to end in tragedy. Fortunately, however, Reznor's life did not end in tragedy. After a five-year descent into despair, spawned by the death of the grandmother who raised him, and culminating in a nearly lethal overdose in 2000, Reznor successfully completed a rehabilitation program and continues to make music to this day. While Weinhouse's life story illustrates the tragedy that can result from untreated mental illness, Reznor stands as an example of how treatment can make a difference. And sometimes, it's the difference between life and death. Song number three, The Story of an Artist by Daniel Johnston. Listen up and I'll tell a story About an artist growing old Daniel Johnston is the least well-known songwriter featured in this episode of Audio Scrambler, but I just had to include him for a number of reasons. One, he's one of my own favorite songwriters, and two, I'd be remiss if this episode failed to consider some of the benefits that can sometimes come from having a different kind of mind. Daniel Johnston has a severe form of bipolar disorder, a condition that's characterized by dramatic swings from mania to depression. Manic phases, which are characterized by high levels of energy and sometimes delusional ambition, may account for how Johnston was able to get his songs in the public's ear, despite their extremely low fi recording quality. Johnston made his earliest albums, beginning in 1981, on a boombox in his parents' basement. But he was tireless in promoting his work handing out copies of his tapes to artists who were passing through town, complete strangers, whoever it took until eventually people like Kurt Cobain started citing him as a favorite artist. Like Rehab and Hurt, the story of an artist does underscore the hardships of mental illness. We don't really like what you do We don't think anyone ever will It's a problem that you have, and this problem's made you ill. But unlike Rehab and Hurt, it also spotlights the good things that can come from perceiving the world in a different way. The artist walks among the flowers, appreciating the sun. He does this all his waking hours. But is it really so wrong? The story of an artist expresses a childlike fascination with the world that might seem unusual for someone who's endured the hardships that Johnston has endured. He's had numerous psychotic episodes and institutionalizations, relies on medication to prevent himself from harm, and has spent most of his life in the care of his parents. But despite these hardships, he's maintained a constant output of critically acclaimed music and visual art. His illustrations have hung in galleries all over the world, and his songs have been covered by Pearl Jam, Death Cab for Cutie, Tom Waits, Wilco, Flaming Lips, and countless others. Song number four, Lucifer Sam by Pink Floyd, written by Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett was a founding member of Pink Floyd. In fact, he was the principal songwriter, composer, and guitarist for their debut album, 1967's psychedelic classic, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. But mental health issues prevented him from continuing with the band beyond 1968. Lucifer Sam is a song about a mysterious Siamese cat who seems always to be in the presence of a character named Jennifer Gentle, who is widely believed to represent Jenny Spires, Barrett's real-life girlfriend at the time. Jennifer Gentle, you're the witch. You're the left side, he's the right side. Oh no. Many commentators have speculated that Lucifer Sam refers to a man that Jenny was having an affair with. Though, the only comment Barrett himself ever made about the meaning of the song was that Lucifer Sam was his pet cat. Given Barrett's elusive and sometimes impish behavior, the world will probably never know for certain the significance of Lucifer Sam. But its sinister surf guitar sound and its reference to the cat as Lucifer gives the song an eerie feeling that calls to question Barrett's grasp on reality. It reminds me of David Berkowitz, the infamous Son of Sam killer, who was convicted of killing eight people in the summer of 1976 and who claimed to have been ordered to do so by his neighbor's dog, Sam. Now, whether Lucifer Sam is an account of Barrett's delusional perception of his pet cat may never be known, but Barrett was reported by friends and associates to have experienced hallucinations. Though no official diagnosis of Barrett's mental condition has ever been made public, medical experts who did not know him personally tend to agree that he had schizophrenia. Others claim he suffered instant brain damage from an overdose of LSD, and some of his family members insist that he had no mental health issues at all, just an odd sense of humor and an extreme resistance to being what the music industry wanted him to be. That gets something I can't To be certain, he did not successfully transition into the role of rock star. By many reports, he would sometimes play a single chord repeatedly during an entire set. By others, he would not play at all, and on at least one occasion, he detuned his guitar deliberately during a show, much to the consternation of his bandmates. Those who knew him say he had once been affable and upbeat, but became increasingly withdrawn and prone to hallucinations, incoherent speech, memory lapses, intense mood swings, violent outbursts, and even periods of catatonia. So So you think you could tell Heaven from hell. Nonetheless, his bandmates continued to admire him and to this day acknowledge their debt to him. David Gilmour expanded on Barrett's eerie guitar sound. Pink Floyd's lyrics continued to explore themes of mental illness throughout the decades, and songs like Wish You Were Here, which we're hearing right now, and Shine On You Crazy Diamond are tributes to Barrett and the creative vision that made Pink Floyd one of rock's most beloved supergroups. Song number 5 I just wasn't made for these times by the Beach Boys, written by Brian Wilson. I keep looking for a place to fit in where I can speak my mind. Brian Wilson is the musical mastermind behind the Beach Boys and has spent most of his life coping with schizoaffective disorder. He stands out as probably the most shining example of a musician who learned to cope with serious mental illness and use his different way of seeing things to transform rock forever. I Just Wasn't Made For These Times comes from the Beach Boys' 1966 LP, Pet Sounds, which most rock critics acknowledge as one of the most influential and groundbreaking albums of all time. Because Wilson wanted every aspect of Pet Sounds to be as good as it could possibly be, he hired a professional lyricist, Tony Asher, to write the words of I Just Wasn't Made For These Times, but the conceptualization was all Wilson's. The song is written from the perspective of someone who, despite his best efforts, simply does not fit in. Someone with a brain that functions highly in some ways, but not in ways that will let him thrive socially. They say I got brains, but they do it me no good. Wilson got the idea for Pet Sounds by listening to this album. I look at all the lovely people. This is Eleanor Rigby from the Beatles' 1966 album Revolver. Wilson had been impressed at how every song on Revolver seemed to belong, there were no fillers, and how songs like Eleanor Rigby explored themes like loneliness and alienation which were atypical for rock and roll at the time, but which Wilson understood well. And so he envisioned Pet Sounds as an album that would be musically and lyrically cohesive from start to finish. dominant lyrical theme that runs throughout Pet Sounds is the interior life of a narrator who pursues love, sometimes experiencing it, but often feeling disjointed and out of place. I may not always love you. Wilson began working on Pet Sounds while the other Beach Boys were on tour because his recently developed agoraphobia, aversion to loud noises, and fear of flying had made it impossible for him to join them. Unable to quit music altogether, though, he decided to concentrate his efforts on studio work. So instead of making simple, standard, Beach Boys, R&B, surf-themed songs like this one, if everybody had a across the USA, he hired some of the best-trained musicians in the business and composed one of the most inventive albums in rock history. sounds featured a host of sounds that were far from traditional rock and roll, including chamber arrangements, electrotheremin, bike horns, train horns, and even animal sounds. Toward the end of the session, Wilson brought the rest of the Beach Boys into the studio to add the richest, most complex harmonies the band had done to date. And the rest is music history. Oh, by the way, Pet Sounds is the number two album on Rolling Stone's list of 500 best albums of all time, second only to this one. With Sergeant Club Band. That's Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, an album that Paul McCartney has repeatedly stated was directly inspired by none other than, you guessed it, Pet Sounds. <laughs> That's it. That's our list of five songs that shed light on mental health issues. Special thanks to Hank Demolition for coming up with the idea for this show. And by the way, if you have any ideas that you think would make a good episode, please let me know. Audio Scrambler is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also contact me at audioscrambler at gmail.com. And now it's time for Out With The New. This is a new closing segment that I'm trying out here to see if it works. While I love music history, I also want Audio Scrambler to be current, so the idea is to send you out with a review of some new music. This time, it's Seafoam Green, the new album by Sacramento-based indie rockers, The Brangs. The Brangs started as a duet with Pete Barker on guitar and lead vocals, and Kevin Coughlin on drums. They called their kind of music Power Folk, because of its rootsy chord structures and Americana undertones. They've since added other sounds like bass, organ, piano, and steel guitar to give their debut album, Seafoam Green, a fuller sound. The songs on Seafoam Green were written by Barker and evoke a gritty world of hard living and hard traveling. Highlights include this song, King of the Mothball Fleet, which is an LG for a life of wandering. Ah. The work protest song Misery Whip I ain't that misery whip no more workin that whip no more The unexpectedly beautiful San Vicente and the lamentation on life in a Nevada casino town Reno is killing me Reno that's killin' you Seafoam Green is propelled by Coughlin's straightforward drum beats, accented by the key work of Steve Moorweathers on organ, piano, and accordion, and grounded by Barker's unaffected baritone, which evokes the unpretentious proto-punk voices of singers like Lou Reed and Jonathan Richmond. And it's this unpretentious quality that is probably Seafoam Green's defining characteristic, both musically and lyrically. Seafoam Green is an unaffected look at real life, laid out with straightforward sounds and straightforward words. That's it for this episode of Audio Scrambler. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Bob Waller, reminding you to keep your ears open, because the more you listen, the more you love.